This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. With all the stresses of life, it can be easy to lose perspective on what really matters. But Heineken believes that life is about being with friends and opening yourself to new experiences. Because when you live spontaneously and embrace the unexpected, it's a chance to create new stories and connections. You just have to open it. So enjoy a refreshingly cold, full-bodied Heineken lager today. With its deep golden color, light fruity aroma, mild bitter taste, and a crisp clean finish. Cheers! Hi, you've reached Bob Muller on my personal line. I can't come to the phone right now, so leave me a message and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Oh boy, okay, hi, this is David Dennison. Uh, listen to me, you don't know who this is really. It could be anyone, but it's a blocked number, so how will you even be able to tell? Now let me tell you, many people are saying that you're going too hard on Trump, and what you need to do is lay off, and then he'll talk to you. He wants to talk to you, but he wants to talk to you about all kinds of fun things, like what's going on in The Voice, or can you believe Big Bang Theory got two more seasons? There's plenty of fun things to talk about, but my friend Sean Hannity says I should stop talking to you or calling you. I mean, not my friend. Uh, I don't know. Goodbye. That was comedian Anthony Atamanik as Donald Trump in the audio version of his new book, American Tantrum, the Donald J. Trump Presidential Archives a devastatingly hilarious satire in which the creator and star of Comedy Central's acclaimed The President Show opens the vault and imagines Donald J. Trump's presidential archives, exposing documents from his childhood in Queens and his time in military school, all the way up to his time in the Oval Office and more. And today, Anthony Tamanick returns to the podcast to talk about it. He reveals why Donald Trump is opening his presidential library while he's still in office and what kind of stuff we'll find in there. He shares the reason why he stopped doing field pieces as Donald Trump in public. He delves into the twisted psyche of the man and his fraught relationships with both of his parents. And he theorizes that Trump actually welcomes the Stormy Daniels scandal and news of other extramarital affairs. He talks about his new Comedy Central special, a president show documentary, The Fall of Donald Trump, and gives us a glimpse of what's in store for the 45th president. And then I get the president himself, well, sort of, to weigh in on Justice Kavanaugh's first few weeks on the Supreme Court, how Melania is handling the Stormy Daniels scandal, and he even reveals who he thinks wrote the anonymous op-ed in the New York Times. Coming up with the hilarious Anthony Atamanik, in just a moment. I'm happy to welcome back Anthony Atamanik, who is a writer, actor, and comedian who has performed at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater since 2002 and has appeared on Late Night with Conan O'Brien, Broad City, The View, and 30 Rock, as well as many comedy specials. But you know him best as the star of Comedy Central's The President Show, where he delivers his deadly sharp impression of Donald Trump. 
He's once again captured the voice of the great orange one in a new special called A President Show Documentary, The Fall of Donald Trump, which airs October 22nd on Comedy Central, and a humorous new book called American Tantrum, The Donald J. Trump Presidential Archives. Anthony Atamanik, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Ben. Well, it's been over a year since we last talked at Politicon. In that time, do you think that you've come any closer to figuring out what drives Donald Trump, or have you learned anything about him since then? Uh, I mean, I think what I've learned is what I still hold pretty uh, steady on since the beginning, is that he is a uh, uh, not a, a particularly designed person. I think that <laughs> he is someone who is uh, all stimuli and reaction and and survival. Yeah. And I think what's, if anything, that has, I guess, not surprised me, but um, I guess is the idea that people are still trying to figure out something that's pretty uh, explicitly simple. He's repeating patterns that he's, he's d- uh, done since his childhood, and he's doing them as president. In trying to get to the bottom of why the hell he is the way he is, who do you think had more influence on Trump, his mom or his dad? Um, I think that what's interesting is I think his brother had a lot of influence on him. Really? And I think, yes, I think that he, uh, uh, in the sense of maybe a bit of admiration and rejection at the same time, I mean, he's told enough stories, and I know some stories about his brother from... uh, when he joined a Jewish fraternity at the school he went to just despite his father. And uh, I have a feeling that Donald Trump as the middle child most uh, or within the middle zone, I think that pushed him towards attaching to his dad. Um, and I think that he looked at his father as probably, and I'm estimating this, but probably some form of an abusive role model hmm. and that uh, when his brother started to kind of, I think, spin out of control. As is publicly known, that he was a drinker and a a, fly, a, a pilot, uh, and was living a, a wild lifestyle. I think that um, Trump turned on a sense of what he thought a man is supposed to be, and I think he uh, learned a lot of that from his dad. His relationship with his mother, I there's so little information about Mary Trump, but. From the few interviews I've seen, I think that she probably was distant and not particularly um, connected to him as a parent, it seems. And I know that she also suffered from some dementia later in life. Um, so uh, my guess is that uh, becoming the man he thought his father was was very important to him. But I'm also totally armchairing it right now. But that's <laughs> that's my estimation is that it was a, probably a... A, a bit of a tortured household. Hey, well, for armchairing it, you're pretty damn good, I got to say. I mean, <laughs> I, I have you. to give you credit because of all the people out there trying to do Trump impressions and doing satire of Donald Trump, you know, the other guys kind of just make fun of, you know, whatever the latest headline is or whatever goofball thing he just said the day before. You actually right. seem to go deeper and try to get to what's actually going on underneath with this guy which must be a pretty dark place to visit, I have to imagine. <laughs> it is a dark place to visit. I mean, it's an interesting mix of the sort of dark interior and the sort of surface ego construct of of, of seemingly kind of not caring and, 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 and forgetting the first or the last thing he said and, 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 and 
you know, yesterday when he said he never said he would donate a million dollars if Elizabeth Warren took the DNA test. It's like his indifference to caring about whether it was true or not means that there's this entire interior narrative he has that is not spoken, that he's living with himself, that excuses and validates his his behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, And in writing, you know, when I was writing uh, American Tantrum, uh, you know, I had the same rule at my show and I have it with the book, which is that I won't allow Trump to run me, we run Trump, in the (laughs) sense that I am not interested in following whatever strange thing he does next. I'm interested in um, giving you a glimpse of what I think is probably a very accurate way of think of, of portraying how he thinks, um, the sort of casual dispensation with order in the Oval Office, um, his, his inability to understand the position that he's in. And I would rather really truly make things up, sort of like he does, and then let those things land as they may, and we've been very, very successful both in the show and uh, in crafting this piece uh, in in predicting his behavior. And you know, I was really impressed in in, in the part of this uh, uh, in American Tantrum. There's a um, a part where we do these SARS suspicious activity reports. These <laughs> SARS suspicious activity reports. That's what it is. Um, and those are used at banks to determine strange uh, money withdrawals or deposits, uh, things coming from foreign actors and so on. Yeah. And we thought they were a fun piece to put in the book. And then, of course, when all this stuff about his father's money came out, we were really thrilled that it aligned directly with something that's happening now. So I, I find that it's a good equation to sort of satirize him and sort of the larger system that's mm-hmm. around him. Now, when last we talked, you discussed the fact that you think the news media had largely fallen asleep on the job and satirists like yourself were picking up the slack and saying, stop trying to normalize this guy. This is not okay." Do you feel like the media is finally starting to get some balls and do their job again by now? I think there are individuals within media who have done that. Um, I think that it's all contained within a corporate entertainment matrix, so it's sort of hard to separate them. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you know, uh, I think that, for instance, Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski, I think, really had a, a, a true come-to-Jesus moment after the election. I think that they thought that they could, as they've admitted, they they were, you know, communicating with him and hoping to sort of maybe shape or school him a bit, right? Yeah. And I think when, you know, he got in, he was so brutal and 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 terrible to her and and they think they've really turned around to uh almost, you know, daily litigating um the untruths and and uh and sort of devastating effect that that he's had on the country and our social fabric and our moral fabric and so on. Um, but they're still as, and it's not their fault. They're within a system that is controlled by a larger entity that both has relationships with the F- FCC and therefore the government, but also they want a for-profit model system. And that's CNN, MSNBC, Fox, all of them sure. are driven by for-profit models. And until you create a firewall between that, uh, and allow uh, the news to be a loss leader so that they can actually report. And, and I mean, imagine a 24-hour 
cable channel where there's, you know, in-depth frontline style documentaries on a lot of the less popular issues and, you know, a, a period for global news and, and something that focuses on the, you know, poverty in, in, in uh, both rural and, and urban areas in the United States or the systemic plight of, of black Americans in the United States. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the treatment of women in media and, and in work. It, it, there's so many things that could be done, but we put them through the filter of Trump. And I guess in some ways that's good in the sense that it's being spoken about and addressed and bad because I think it gets attached to him like a barnacle. And if you remove him, you don't remove the problems of our society. Yeah. And it does seem like this profit motive has pushed the media to focus way more attention on the more prurient headlines about Trump than they deserve. And I honestly suspect, and I want your opinion on this, that Trump probably welcomes it when the media goes on about his affairs with porn stars and playmates because they're salacious, but they're also a good distraction and they're less damaging probably than news about the Russia investigation, sexual assault allegations, its taxes, and all of the bigger issues of genuine corruption. Yeah, well, I think he's very good at that. I mean, I think that that is where he has a sort of emotional intelligence that's quite developed. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if emotional intelligence is the correct, maybe it's a street intelligence. He knows how to distract. I mean, you know, Trump in another life would have just been a guy running a shell game on St. Mark's. And (laughs) I think that he knows what to gin up and when, what to bring up to distract. I mean, it's like a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old who didn't do their homework and they're trying to distract their parents from being upset (laughs) that they got detention by you know, doing something worse at home in order to just take the attention off of that. Exactly. I think there's a high that you get off of negative attention. And um, I think the part and parcel to that, too, is the Mueller investigation, these things, you know, I also think he doesn't take those seriously as either. I oh, just really? think he would rather those things not be in the news. But I also don't believe that he has some design that is uh, calculated to sort of distract. I think it's part of his nature. It's it's more of an instinct. Yeah. More recently, I've heard you caution liberals against unbridled hate against Donald Trump and not matching hate with hate. Uh, aside yeah. from the fact that you probably really shouldn't hate anyone, more specifically, what's your concern about unchecked Trump hate? Well, I think I just, I don't really understand what it achieves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you know, if you want in your heart and the privacy of your home or as your First Amendment right, want to go out to the street, yell you hate Donald Trump over and over again, that's that's your right. Um, but I don't know if it I don't know if it helps us. I mean, you know, the one thing is to to in a way it's you know, dehumanizing him is a bad choice because he's a human being and, and he is uh, was elected by other human beings. And whether we like it or not, we're all responsible for him being president. Uh, and that's not to say that, you know, there could have been a hack, there could have been influence, there's all sorts of things that could be true and, and until they're proven out, you can only say it's possible. Uh, we know we sometimes label some of the things that the Russians did as hacking when, in fact, they just used our own fist against us. They mm-hmm. used our own social division and and uh, used our social media tools against us. And I, I think that you can't, you know, that part of it, it's it, I would argue that Zuckerberg or, uh, you know, Jack Dorsey are just as culpable as the Russians for getting Trump elected in that case. Uh, but I think that... Uh, 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 it's just giving more energy to him, one. So if we're just talking about him, the Democratic Party 
uh, and hopefully the democratic socialists and, and hopefully other, you know, thinkers, even, even libertarians, centrists, everybody, people who are thinking should be, and conservatives should, who are thinkers should be coming up with what are the ideas that help the country and help our society. And we can disagree about the execution. We could disagree about the priorities, but the notion that, that, what we're doing instead is, is just saying this guy is terrible. That didn't work in 2016. That was the strategy. And it's still the strategy. And I am very worried about where the Democratic Party is at. I think that Elizabeth Warren had her, you know, John Kerry in the spacesuit, her Mike Dukakis in the tank <laughs> moment with this DNA test. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because I think she's a great mind and I think she has a lot of wonderful things to say, and I'm from Massachusetts, so of course I would always be in the tank for someone from Massachusetts uh, if I agreed with them. But I, I, uh, I just think this is an embarrassing display on in every corner. I think, and and just you know, the thing is, is a lot of people laughed off Bernie Sanders after the, his defeat from Hillary, Hillary Clinton, and the conventional wisdom changed on him a bit. At the end of the day, he was still the person who was talking about real issues that affected every American. I, I don't mm-hmm. understand it. I, I don't think that we are really emotionally or politically uh, mature enough in this country. And that's a lack of civics education and understanding about the seriousness of how the body politic affects your everyday life. And you've personally seen just how nasty it's getting out there. And it led you apparently to stop doing field pieces on the president show is it getting too dangerous to be out there on the streets dressed as the most controversial figure of our times? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, yes and no. I mean, I think that some of that had to do with being in large populated places like Times Square and so on, which is very hard to secure. And you just don't know what someone's going to do. And we had enough events happen that it made me want to have more controlled events. Um, I think that what's uh, more frightening to me is the um, Proud Boy and I guess so-called Antifa um, clashes that have been happening over the last few days, including Mm -hmm. the gun seizure that occurred in Portland uh, a day or two ago. Uh, These things really worry me. And I I will probably get some flack from the hard left, but uh, not that I believe in the Antifa label of the right, because I think we can all support anti-fascism, and I think it's crazy that that's a negative term. Um, but I do believe that if you've got to wear a mask to go do what you need to do, unless you're Batman, I don't, I don't really know why you're doing it. And I think that what you're seeing is just a new outcropping of white male, young white male toxic behavior. Yeah. And it's just ways to fight. And I think the Proud Boys should be a very, because they are far more organized and real than the weird, loose coalition of what we call Antifa. But, mm-hmm. you know, Gavin McGinnis is a dangerous individual and he's galvanizing a, a thinking that is, uh, that is toxic. Earlier in the year, Comedy Central decided to transition the president's show from a regular series to a series of comedy specials, including the one you have yeah. coming out October 22nd. In the end, do you think that the public just had too much Trump fatigue to sustain a weekly show? You know, I I don't. Um, no. I think that uh, my guess is that there was an advantage to having the specials and making them more of an event, and I've, I've enjoyed doing the specials. Uh, but I'll be honest and say that I wanted a 
weekly show, and I still want a weekly show for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed uh, doing narrative work and uh, think that the live talk show format, although I loved it, um, I can understand how chasing that level of news every week was uh, definitely um, uh, a difficult haul and maybe hard maybe for people to watch that. But I also just don't buy that conventional wisdom. Really? Uh, but I look at the show and, again, I look at, you know, the book and, and I go and, – and this is why I think, you know, American Tantrum was such a, a wonderful um, – expression because it was an opportunity for me to bring it back to the roots of what I did before I started doing the Comedy Central show, Uh, a far more um, sort of acerbic intersection between National Lampoon's and Thomas Paine's Common Sense, a comedic political document that uh, doesn't have the FCC or Viacom (laughs) or anyone else breathing down its neck to produce it, and the written word is still... uh, one of the most liberating places for you to express yourself. So um, all things happen for the reason that they do, and, and um, I'm thrilled with the special that's coming out on October 22nd on Comedy Central. Uh, but I'm, and I'm equally, and in a different way, so thrilled by, by the book. You know, Neil Casey, my, my writing partner, was uh, instrumental in, in helping me craft this book, and, um, and, and what we created, I think, uh, will stand the test of time. I actually really believe it's it's uh, light years ahead of of whatever anyone else has has been doing in terms of interpreting the president. And I th- I think it's also a good interpretation of Americana. It's a book that's not just about the president, but it's an American book. Uh, and we have yeah. pieces that that expand uh, that extend across time. Uh, you know, we have a thing that's a play on George Washington's manners called you know. Right. Uh, General Kelly's, you know, <laughs> guide great. to the president. And and for me, that's um, uh, I enjoy it because I know this is going to sound a little cheesy, but I mean, maybe growing up in Boston or, or just the political family I grew up in, not that anyone was in politics, but we were very politically active. Um, you know, I consider myself the terms of a patriot and an American. And I think that the story we tell ourselves in the best possible way uh, is a great story, and it's a story of enlightenment and thinking and reason. And um, even though this is a super funny book that's also filthy, I think it's also a defensive reason in, yeah. in humor. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more with Anthony Atamanek when we come back in just a minute. Almost every day we hear something on the news about a cyber attack. Sometimes it's just a bunch of pranksters, but more often it's a foreign country with vast cyber resources trying to hack our power grid, our banking system, or our military's information networks. The National Security Agency plays a big part in protecting our country from cyber attacks, and you can help. The NSA is hiring technical professionals to serve on the front lines of information security. If you work in computer science, networking, programming, or electrical engineering, You can help keep your country safe. Design new hardware systems and networks, write faster, smarter programs, protect America's critical infrastructure, or help uncover what our adversaries are planning to do next. Learn more about careers at the National Security Agency today. Visit intelligencecareers.gov slash NSA. That's intelligencecareers.gov slash NSA. Life can be stressful. 
and sometimes we lose perspective on what really matters. As we rush to achieve all the things we want in life, it can be easy to forget to enjoy the smaller moments along the way. But life isn't about following a common path or having a set plan. It's about being with friends, celebrating with loved ones, and living in the moment. Heineken believes that you create the richest memories when you embrace the unexpected and open yourself to new experiences. That's why Heineken encourages everyone to live spontaneously. Because when you embrace the unexpected, things like exploring new parties, enjoying the summertime, watching exciting soccer matches, and celebrating the holidays with your family, all become chances to create new stories and connections. You just have to open it up. So enjoy a refreshingly cold, full-bodied Heineken lager today. With its deep golden color, light fruity aroma, mild bitter taste, and a crisp clean finish. Cheers. And now, back to the podcast. You know, it was an interesting contrast to watching the president's show when you know that the guy that you're listening to is doing an impression of Donald Trump versus you're reading it in print and you know you just start to say to yourself this isn't so far off from reality it's ridiculous but it sounds exactly like the kind of incoherent trump dribble that i might be reading in my morning news feed every day thank you (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I mean (laughs) i think it's good i think it's a good exposure in a humorous way to uh, I almost feel like it's like, this is what's going on, and I think we're pretty correct. And Mm -hmm. I think for people to see the phone calls, to read the phone call transcripts between Merkel and Trump, or to read his phone call to the Area 51 and his belief there's an alien in there, (laughs) I think it's a great depiction of sort of probably what quote-unquote executive time is. I think it's a person... I said this before, you know, but you know, Donald Trump is a man who took a tour of the White House and when he went through the Oval Office, he just sat down at the chair and stayed. You know, <laughs> it's a is a completely ignorant human being who who really has no interest in the thing that he's in. Yeah. And 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 he's a he's a witnessing president. And that it's 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 astonishing. It should prove the power of our our bureaucracy because the the country, I mean, it, this is as if you set some car uh, down a highway and just put a brick on the gas and tied a necktie to the <laughs> to the wheel and just let it go. You yeah. know, it, we're 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 completely unhinged and 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 unguided. And the the frightening part is that we won't feel the true effects of the atrophying of American power and the global stage for another five or six years, and then we'll really see where we're at. And and I will say maybe that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's time for America in some way to be a part of the world more ultimately by having to be shrunk a bit. But I think the only thing is is to pay attention to the fact that these notions of individual liberty, expression, and freedom are not universal around the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that when people lean into the idea of, well, Russia isn't that bad, or or China, you know, they do have a great driving economy, that these are places like Saudi Arabia where they murder press, they murder women, they murder gays, they, they, are, uh, they are totalitarian or pseudo-totalitarian states. And I think that uh, we've gotten so comfortable in our consumerist, corporatist, envi- corporatist environment in our world, in the, in the first world, that we are very unaware of the thin membrane that separates us between uh, liberty and uh, totalitarian darkness. 
Yeah, and it's interesting that you say we may need to get a few years on to look back and be able to truly understand what happened. You sort of do that with this new comedy special, a president's show documentary, The Fall of Donald Trump. Uh, the Fall of Donald Trump, how far ahead are we looking in this documentary? In the documentary, we are set in 2030, and uh, it's a show called Hindsight 2030, uh, sort of a amorphous news program or documentary series that exists then. And uh, I, I modeled it after uh, those Hunt for Hitler documentaries on, on uh, History Channel, you know, this sort of what happened. And, I, and it has an Errol Morris vibe to it, and we track the... We track the, um, uh, I, th- I think I could say this, that the documentary, when it airs on October 22nd, the first scene you see is Trump, you know, doing a rally bit. I don't think that blows anything up. Yeah. And it says October 23rd, 2018. So we imply <laughs> that the next day this doc starts. Okay. And, uh, and then it's tracking the 12 years of what happens to him, what happens with the blue wave, what happens with 2020. When does his post-presidency start and where does Trump end up? <laughs> yeah, let me just ask you this before we get back to the book. Twelve years later, has Trump gained any wisdom or perspective by 2030? No. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> well, going back to the book, uh, Donald Trump apparently has decided to release a presidential pocket library of his papers and correspondence. I have to say it's a little unusual for a president to complete his presidential library when he's still in office. What's Trump's hurry? In the introductory interview, uh, our, our, our author, Kelsey Nelson, who is a former <laughs> Golf and Stream magazine uh, writer, and Golf and Stream magazine, of course, is where they know the best golf courses and where the streams are that are next to them. Um, he uh, asks Trump this, and uh, Trump is says, why should Obama get to build his library before me? I'm a better president. I want to beat Obama to it. And so the the this book that, you know, is predicated on the idea that Kelsey Nelson wrote this book, our fictitious author, um, that uh, he decided that the book is a blueprint for the library, and that way he beats uh, Obama to the punch. And also Trump doesn't really understand, I think, what a presidential library is. Uh, he <laughs> says he stood in front of Reagan's. He's never been to the other one. Uh, he's never he, he, he's never been to the LBJ one in Houston and, in fact, thinks that Kennedy was shot in Houston. So um, <laughs> it, it pretty much very quickly answers that question. So it's, it's Trump's way of getting out ahead of everybody else. I like this archivist, Kelsey Nelson, because he seems to sort of embody the people who have served in the Trump administration, that he, he's singularly focused on Trump to the point that even if it ruins his marriage and his wife divorces him and he's all alone living in a hotel room, <laughs> none of that yeah. matters as long as he's still serving the president. Yes. Well, I think that's what we, I, you know, we, we had a, uh, broke down Kelsey Nelson to the idea that he starts sort of as a country club Republican. Right. Mm-hmm. He starts as the people who actually put Trump over the top and, you know, that the people who got Trump elected were white, wealthy women and uh, white, wealthy men. And although the media narrative is that it was the deplorables or the low income red hats that got Trump elected, that's not demographically true. And I think it 
does show a tone deafness of both the media class and the liberal class to, again, heap more pain and punishment onto uh, people of poverty and, and lack of means. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that a lot of the quote-unquote red hatters aren't um, sometimes displaying uh, vile behavior or, or un, unmitigated uh, rage, anger, or violence. Uh, there's elements of that. But um, the truth is is that it, it is the, it's the, the credit card class, the people who live like they're millionaires on you know $500,000 worth of credit, uh, that actually got Trump elected, essentially junior Trumpers. So that's where Kelsey Nelson starts, right? Polo shirt and khaki pants. But as Trump breaks him down over these series of interviews, which are peppered throughout the book, along with the the other phone calls and transcripts and, and other apocrypha pieces, um, Kelsey basically does turn into what we would call a proud boy. He becomes a true red hatter, a true believer. And then um, you'll have to read, but he finds his way out in some way. <laughs> and, um, and, and hopefully I'm writing a roadmap for uh, other people like him yeah. to, to find their way out. And, and, you know, much like people in a cult, I've, this has been something I've been saying recently, but uh, this is the Jones towning of the United States. I mean, Donald <laughs> Trump is nothing yeah. more than Jim Jones. And uh, we are in a national Jones town now. And um, as most people who fall into cults, and, and I've known uh, folks who have, who have fallen prey to that in my life and in my family, um, that, uh, you know, and it's interesting that the FBI uh, and uh, uh, stopped its research uh, division for cults in the, right after Waco, I think. Oh, they, really? they really see, yeah, they actually uh, defunded a lot of their huh. programs. And I think you can see the effect, which is that um, we have a national cult problem right now, and it's sitting in the White House. And um, we have to remember that people who join cults need to be deprogrammed, and they are in some way joining and changing their identity and losing who they are into the collective. So uh, we have to have some empathy for that. And obviously not every – I mean, I believe you have to have empathy for every person, even the worst person in the world, but – I can understand people's limitations to have empathy for everyone, but um, I think that, uh, you know, we have to find our way to uh, forgive and heal these people and understand them. And we have to take a stock of ourselves and how I think in the, the coastal cities and in the classes of people that generally work in media and work in tech jobs and so on and in the sort of white collar world, how... Um, you know, how our disdain for the working class, our disdain for people who earn a regular living, our, our desire to consume and to have the phone. I just got a new phone. I'm a part of this world. Um, but like, you know, that we need to also uh, look at our cult of tech and our mm-hmm. cult of personality on our side. And uh, maybe the time of the two party system and the cult of personality needs to go away. And maybe we need to start. Um, yeah. We're going to worship anything. Why don't we worship rule of law and, and, and good governance and, and helping all people? That yeah. seems like a better thing to worship. Yeah, I think that you're really on to something there because I've had a sense more recently over the past couple of years that the number of independents might be growing. I certainly know the number of Republicans are shrinking, and the number of independents dwarfs both Republicans and Democrats. And yes. it seems like that may be where the country's headed. Yeah, it, We don't need someone to tell us what to think. Politics should be a la carte. You shouldn't just join a party and sign on to some laundry list of issues that you may not even agree with. 
I think that if we if we stepped away from the tribalism of party politics, I think people would understand that if they could save face and they weren't going to get rejected by the ideology that they connect themselves to, there is the possibility. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example: is uh, you know, let's look at the basic of well basics of welfare reform food stamps uh, provisions and and uh, the basic social safety net. You know, we've been pouring our money into a system that has not evolved since it was initiated, essentially. We have not done massive evolution in what exactly it means to provide welfare or social safety net for those who can't do for themselves. Mm-hmm. We are, uh, and so the right can stand there and say it's a waste of money and there's people taking advantage of the roles and we can play the race card in terms of you know, as George W. Bush, H. W. Bush, Bush put it, with the welfare queen and so on, and instead look at and the Democrats defending a system because they're so afraid if the Republicans ever got their hands on it that they would just gut it completely. Yeah. So the Democrats reinforce some broken system that is taking people. Uh, both people of color and white, uh, pov- poor white folks and sending them hours away from their home just to satisfy their work requirement for their welfare to work program, which was a totally failed idea of, out of the Clinton administration. We have to be free to say those things. And we have to look at, well, how do we spend our money? How do we address problems state by state? How do we create, what does welfare mean? Does welfare mean that we want to give everybody the right to have electricity, to have a home, to have the ability to sustain themselves in dignity? Does it mean that we provide a, um, a, a two-year credit towards a college degree? Do we want people to sign on to a tiered system where uh, instead of paying a loan back, what you do is when you earn over a certain point in your life because of the education or provisions you got from the welfare system, that you're going to contribute a quarter of it back into the system that helped you. There's plenty of ways to make effective and cost-effective systems that help people. But we yeah. can't do that because we don't live in a, a, uh, in, a, in a society right now that allows us to actually address issues. What yeah. we live in is a society of, of, of two sides of which neither are doing anything but uh, trying to get more followers. You know, we live, we, we're, we're just one big Twitter account. You know, I also want to mention that I enjoyed listening to the audio version of American Tantrum. You got some great talent to participate in the audio book, including Neil Casey, your writing partner, Kathy Griffin as Kellyanne Conway and Tom Arnold. And Lennon Parham. Um, I wonder, did you talk to Tom Arnold about his hunt for yeah. the Trump tapes? Is, is he getting any closer? I will, yes. I'll, I just want to mention that Lennon Parham as well is, yeah. is, in, is in there. Yeah, um, yeah Tom Arnold... Um, Yes, I mean, he has some, he says he has some very interesting stuff. He said the big thing is Mark Burnett, and I know he had a huge, you know, fisticuffs with him recently. Uh, But, you know, he knows that Burnett has these tapes, and he's not releasing them. And uh, he he gave me a couple of interesting pieces of info when he met with uh, Cohen and so on, but he also said that Cohen spun it like, you know, I don't know this guy, and... You know, Tom said, I've known him and have interacted with him for years. And, and you know, there's there's this, you know, public relations desire to separate Tom Arnold from that. But I'm very interested to see uh, what it is. But I'll let Tom Arnold tell yeah. that story for his show. I don't want to blow his spot up. You know? Yeah, it should be interesting. 
Well, in the last minutes here, I want to do something we did last time with your permission. I'd like to ask a few questions of Donald Trump himself. Uh, do you sure. think that you could get him to join us on the phone for a few minutes? I, I think I can. Hold on. Let me just okay. get him dialed in. <laughs> Hello, this is the President of the United States. Hello, Mr. President. It's Ben Mathis of Kick-Ass News. How are you doing, sir? I don't sir? care. Whatever. <laughs> what do you want to know? Uh, Mr. President, how would you rate Justice Kavanaugh's first couple weeks on the Supreme Court? Justice Kavanaugh is its a total 10. He's a total 10 as a judge. He's hot. He cries, which I think is a huge turn on. He knows how to get hot and bothered when he wants to. And the guy can knock back some beers. And I don't drink, but you never know. When a guy gets too drunk, sometimes he loses the belt. But the truth is, he and Gorsuch, which I insisted that they room together like Laverne and Shirley, and I hired the actual actors who played Lenny and Squiggy to live above them, and they're just having a great time. And let me tell you, Kavanaugh has got a big old boo-boo kitty. <laughs> Interesting, sir. Well, have you decided whether or not you'll submit to an interview with the Mueller investigation? I will never submit anything to Mueller. Mueller could have had dinner with me, and then we could have worked this all out, and I could have told him to back off just the way I did with Comey. And it totally worked with Comey. I mean, yeah. that guy, he left, right? Yeah. And with Mueller, I mean, this is a freaky guy. Let's just say he doesn't have to wear a costume for Halloween. He could just put two soda caps on his neck, and he's an instant Frankenstein. <laughs> Well, Mr. President, uh, I just have to ask a little bit about your personal life. Uh, how has Melania been handling the news or the rumors, I guess I should say, of your affairs with Stormy Daniels and these other women? She, lo she loves it. She loves all of it. Really? Who doesn't love a husband who gets around and keeps it fresh? <laughs> Melania knows that I still got it going. You know, I can last for like 15 seconds, and that's before I take my underwear off. <laughs> Interesting. So you think that it kind of keeps the marriage fresh, huh? Well, I don't know about fresh. I mean, I think she's over 50, so there's nothing fresh about that. But Melania's in for the long haul. The truth is that if... I hadn't become president, she would have hit the bricks, but I didn't want to have the first White House divorce, so now I'm stuck with her for the next <laughs> six years. Well, Mr. President, uh, I was just talking with Anthony Atamanik about your uh, quote-unquote executive time, that your staff schedules several hours of that for you every day on your calendar. What exactly is executive time, and what do you do with all that time? Who's Anthony Atamanik? Was that a Russian hacker? Who's that guy? He's just some comedian. Uh, who cares? Yeah, I, who cares? <laughs> I think Alec Baldwin, that guy, does a terrible job on SNL, and that's the only Trump that I know. But he, the blacks love him, let's face it. The blacks love him. <laughs> and they love me, too. Uh, executive time is so incredible. I have 10 McDonald's burgers and wow. 10 McChickens. And I line them up on the bed, and then I roll from one side of my bed to the other. And each time I roll, I eat one like Pac-Man. And I watch <laughs> Fox and Friends and The Five. And then I watch 
morning Joe, and midday Joe, and afternoon Joe, and then uh, sleepy time Joe, and then celestial seasonings Joe, and then I watch Sanka Joe, and then it's time to go to bed. Well, before we go, I just have one more question for you, sir. Have you figured out who the New York Times leaker was? Oh, that's Mike. Mike Pence did it. Everybody yeah. knows that. Yeah, it was Mike. Who else says Lodestar or whatever the hell he says? <laughs> well, do you think you're going to keep him on in 2020 then? Listen, Mike Pence, if I don't keep him, that guy, I mean, if you heard what he said about gay people, it's messed up. It's better that I keep him here. I mean, that guy's sicker than BTK. Let's just put it that way. You know what they say, the motto for BTK, have it your way. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Mr. President, and thanks, Anthony Atamanik. The book, once thank more, you. is, is you. called American Tantrum, the Donald J. Trump Presidential Archives, and a President Show documentary, The Fall of Donald Trump, airs October 22nd on Comedy Central. Anthony Atamanik, thanks so much for talking with me. <laughs> it was a pleasure talking to you. Great interview. Thank you. Thanks again to Anthony Atamanik for coming back on the show. Order his book, American Tantrum, the Donald J. Trump Presidential Archives on Amazon, Audible, or wherever books are sold. His comedy special, a President's Show documentary, The Fall of Donald Trump, is available on Comedy Central On Demand, and follow him on Twitter at at Tony Atamanik. When you need energy on the go and don't have time to wait in line, grab Espresso Monster. Espresso Monster is a premium blend of espresso and cream made with freshly brewed espresso coffee, hormone-free milk, and a unique energy blend complete with taurine and B vitamins. Each can has three shots of espresso and comes in vanilla espresso or espresso and cream flavors. Close your eyes, take a sip, and enjoy Espresso Monster today. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on iTunes and leave us a review. You can follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at at KickAssNewsPod. And as always, I welcome your comments, questions, and ideas at comments at KickAssNews.com. I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News. Kick-Ass News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.